0: Well, it's true. They said if we started giving Krispy Kreme donuts away, we would probably attract a few more folks. (laughs) I didn't believe them, but obviously that must be the way it works. You know, following is one of my all-time favorite stories, and it reminds one of the importance in examining all the facts before jumping to any conclusions. The story is told of a man who who was at LAX, and he was worried about missing his plane. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't have a wristwatch on, and he couldn't locate a clock, so he, he saw a stranger who was coming towards him, but the man seemed to be in a hurry, and he was carrying two big suitcases, and he said, excuse me, sir, do you have the time? And the man put the suitcases down graciously, and he looked at his watch, and he said, uh, sure. Uh, it's exactly 509. The temperature outside is 73 degrees, and it's supposed to rain tonight. In London, the sky is clear, and the temperature is 38 degrees Celsius. The barometer there is reading 29.14 inches and falling rapidly. And uh, it's us and in Singapore, uh, it's a beautiful day. And, uh, oh, by the way, tonight we'll be having a full moon here in Los Angeles. And the guy looked at him and said, man, your watch tells you all that? He goes, oh, yeah, and more. He says, I have invented this watch, and I can assure you there's no other timepiece like it in all of the world. And the guy said, i got to have that watch. I'll give you 4000 bucks right here and right now for the watch. And the guy goes, well, you know what, I, it's really not for sale. I'm still working on some things. I'm tweaking it a little bit, and there's a lot more things I need to do to it. He goes, no, I've got to have that watch. He said, well, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. He goes, I'll give you 6000 He goes, no, I can't take the money because I'm trying to get a patent on this thing. And, you know, and then I plan to give it to my son and keep it in the family. And he goes, look, I'll give you 10000 bucks right now for that watch. I've got to have it. And the guy goes, 10000 bucks." takes his watch off, gives it to the stranger, the guy straps it on, he's all excited, he starts walking away after giving the man the money, and the the guy said, oh, hold on a second, you forgot your batteries. (laughs) Few more things just needed to be tweaked there. Now, now, I, I love that story because it's funny, but that's not always the case when one comes to a conclusion before looking into all the facts. You know, the Bible warns that it's foolish for a man to give an answer to a matter before all is heard. And that's certainly true when it comes to answering the question that we've begun to ask through this series. And the question is simply this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? A wrong answer to this question is the difference between ending up in heaven or in hell. Who is Jesus? know so far in our series we've discussed about you know uh, you know how most folks will admit that jesus was a moral upright you know religious leader he was a good man he was a prophet he was a wise teacher Uh, and they would never accuse him of being you know a liar or a lunatic because after all in our world that wouldn't be politically correct now would it and so they would never say things like that but if you would ask him as they answer these questions do you believe that jesus christ is god They would say, uh, well, no, I believe he's the things I just said, or an angel, or one of many gods, a man who became a god by living a good life, or maybe an idea of some sort, the Christ consciousness, It's this idea of perfection. Do you believe that he's God? Well, no. Well, do you believe he's a liar? Oh, absolutely not. Do you believe he's a lunatic? Well, it can't be that. You know, as Josh McDowell calls it, the trilemma. He's either Lord, liar, or lunatic, but he can't be, you know, all three. And so as we've gone through this, we've seen that the Bible teaches clearly the identity of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus according to the scriptures? And so far we've learned that the names that he's given in the Bible prove that he's God. He's called God. He's called the Son of God. He's called Lord. Lord. He's called the Lord of Glory. He's called the Holy One. He's called the First and the Last. And not only does the Bible call him God, but Jesus himself claimed to be God. He claimed to be equal with the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father am one. And many times the Jews who heard that recognized his claim to be equal with the Father and they wanted to kill him even more. They hated him because of this claim. He claimed to forgive sins, and they were blown away by it. Who's this man who thinks he can forgive sins against God? Because only God can forgive sins. But Jesus claimed to forgive sins. What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your pallet and walk? In order to know that I have the authority given to me to forgive sins, I tell this man to stand up and walk. He claimed to be equal with the Father. He claimed to forgive sins. He claimed to answer prayer, and he claimed to give eternal life. And today, if that's not enough evidence, we're going to look at what else we learn in the Bible as to the identity of Jesus Christ. And we'll look and concentrate on what the Bible teaches as to the works of Christ. The works of Jesus Christ. And there will be six of them, time permitting, that we'll go through. And I recognize a challenge when I hear one. And uh, so we're going to do the best we can to cover this. But, you know, the the works of Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 where we will look at the works that are identified in scripture the works of Jesus Christ in John chapter 2 we see the first of the miracles or signs that Jesus performed. And in John chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we read these words. As on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, draw out some water now and take it to the head waiter, and they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and didn't know where it came from, but the servant who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And then when men have drunk freely, then which is that, that which is poor, but you have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And this particular sign that we see Jesus demonstrated his power over creation his power over creation when Jesus changed the water into wine it demonstrated something about his unique power and in this instance his power over creation you know, in Christ's day, the new wine referred to the fresh juice of the grape that would be squeezed out simply from the weight of the grapes as they were put into the wine press at the harvest. And so what would happen is they would go out to harvest and they would take the, all of the grapes at the harvest time, they would put it in the wine press, and the weight of, the wine, uh, the weight of all of the grapes plussed on top of one another would produce wine that would, or the grape juice that would flow out of the bottom. And this was the best of the wine that was there, the good wine. And what the waiter was saying was that any wedding always has the good wine first, but there's only a limited supply of that good wine because there's only so much that will come out just in a natural process. Once that is filled up and the weight is there and compresses the, the, the grape juice that flows out at the bottom, there's only going to be so much and then it stops. And then man has to get involved in the process of pressing it to make sure that whatever else is there will come out. But the good wine is that which comes out of the bottom. Most of the time, it never even made it past the vineyard because those who were out in the harvest drank it kind of as a reward for their hard efforts. Now, what's happening here is that he's saying, look, there's, there's these pots, six pots of 20 or 30 gallons each. He filled them to the top. Let's just take... The scenario of 20 gallons times 6 is 120 gallons, which is absolutely miraculous because you're not going to get 120 gallons of good wine out of the harvest. They were blown away by it. And the reason it was so amazing is that Jesus did instantly what only happens over a period of time. The grapes were in the vineyard and they grew over a period of time. You're only going to get so much good wine out of the grapes that were produced. But Jesus instantly had power over creation that he could produce the good wine with no restraint whatsoever on time. They were blown away by it. And the question is, why did Jesus do this? Did he do it to meet a human need? Did he do it to bail out his hosts who you know, you know, had the social faux pas of running out of you know, wine at a wedding? You know, can you imagine inviting people over and you ran out of food? I'll guarantee you, if you've ever been to our house, that never happens. Because, you know, when we've entertained for years guys that play professional sports, especially when we had our old Rams Bible study, we learned real quick that, you know, what we normally did multiplied tenfold. And, and, and you see the fruit of those labors. Thank you very much. So, you know, so but we learned that, man, you don't run out of food when you're inviting somebody over. You know what did Jesus do to bail him out? You know, he felt bad for him. Well, the answer is given to us in verse 11. It wasn't that. This was the beginning of his signs. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And he manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. The word that John uses in his Gospels, as we'll see as we continue looking at the works of Jesus Christ, the word in John's Gospel is not the word dunamis or power, which we've seen in our study in the book of Acts uh, for, and in Romans. But in Romans 1.16, if you recall, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the dunamis or power of God unto salvation for all who believes. The gospel is God's power expressed in his living and active word. The gospel is the power of God to reach out to hard hearts. This past week, I was asked to officiate at a memorial service for a young gal who was 14 years old, had Down syndrome, and within a very quick period of time, uh, departed this life into the next, into the presence of her Savior. And I was warned before I went there that the father of this daughter was a very hard-hearted man who claimed to believe nothing, who claimed to have no spiritual beliefs whatsoever, and he was very hardened. And in the course, and I'll share some more as we get a little further along, but in the course of our time together, in the course of the presentation of the gospel, in a relevant and practical manner, and one involving the audience throughout as we we discussed the, the lessons that they learned from this girl's life, Her daughter, her dad said, I learned unconditional love from my daughter. I said, well, she learned that from God. Who even when we have hard hearts toward God and we're in rebellion and we're running from him because we don't like him or anybody else telling us what to do, he still loved us and demonstrated that love and he sent Christ to die for us. And so it went, the interchange, and then I had a chance to share clearly from the word of God, God's plan for man. And as... We went over to the grave site, and I was standing there, and I saw the the dad come, and he started to come towards me, so I walked towards him, and I extended my hand, and I reached out to grab his hand, and he grabbed my hand, and he pulled me in, and he hugged me, and he kissed me on the cheek, and he whispered in my ear, the words that you spoke were powerful. Thank you. The word of God is living and active, The word of God is powerful. The word of God is able to judge, you know, and separate the bone from marrow and judge the very thoughts and the intentions of our heart. See, the word of God, the power of God. And while it's true that Jesus demonstrated power over creation, in John's gospel, if you'll notice back at verse 11... He used the word sign, and a sign is something that points beyond itself to something greater. It wasn't enough for people to believe in Jesus' works. They had to believe in him and also the Father who sent him, according to John chapter 5, verses 14 through 24. That's why Jesus often added a sermon to the miracle and would explain the sign in that sermon. And we'll see more of this in a moment. And this miracle, this sign, pointed to his glory, notice... And and his glory was made known. It was manifested. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Why did Jesus change the water to wine? Why did he show that he had the power over creation? It was so that they could see him for who he is. As we've already learned, the Lord of glory. There was a purpose. There was a message. And the message pointed to him as being the Savior he claimed to be. You know, a second work that we see was that Jesus demonstrated his power over disease. And if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, we'll see an example of this. In Matthew chapter 4, he had the power over disease. And he healed people for the same purpose to demonstrate his glory. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, we read these words, And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went out into all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demonics and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. I mean, they took them to him, and he healed them all. Do you realize there isn't a person who comes to Jesus that Jesus will not heal? A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you won't despise. If you come to Jesus, he will heal you. But he can't heal a person who's running from him. He can't heal a person who's not humble before him. He can't heal a person of their sinfulness if they're not broken and contrite over their sin. But all who are broken and contrite and come to him and seek his mercy, all who come to Jesus are healed. Have you come to him for healing? They came to him for physical healing. But don't forget the reason he he healed them physically is so that he could demonstrate to them that he had the power to heal them spiritually. He healed their broken bodies so that they would know he can heal their broken souls. That he could forgive their sin. In John chapter 4, again, we see another example of Jesus' power over disease. In John chapter 4, starting with verse 46, we read these words. He came, therefore, again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, which we just read about. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him. And was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, and wonders was always the reaction to the sign or the miracle, the sign pointed to the message or lesson, the miracle was the act itself, the wonders was, the, you know, the, the, the response to it, you know, duh, <laughs> you know, ah, whoa, whoa, you know, as they would say, whoa, dude, you know, and, and uh, those were the surfers that hung out in Galilee, but... Um, He made the water wine. There was a certain man. He said, when he heard that Jesus had come, his son was at the point of death. Verse 48, Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke, and he started off. This man's faith was born in a crisis in a moment in time and you know what Jesus understood that I've heard so often in my life people say well the only reason you're coming to Jesus now is because your marriage is falling apart the only reason you're coming to Jesus now is because you're going through all kind of turmoil in your business and your finances and your kids on drugs or this is happening, or that's happening. the only reason you're coming to Jesus now is because you need something he knows that we all need something It's called forgiveness. And if that crisis moment is what brings us to the cross, then praise God for the crisis because it's temporary and it's not even worthy to be compared to the backdrop of eternity. Our present sufferings aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. If this crisis brings you to Christ, praise God for it and give him the glory. This man understood that. His son was dying. The most precious thing, problem in his life. He needed to turn somewhere and he knew where to turn for the answer. I heard that even you can raise people from the dead. I heard you're healing every person that comes to you. I heard you have the power over disease. My son is sick. I don't think you have a problem with this. Would you please heal him? He's healed. He's healed. healed. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. From this passage, we see that Christ's power over disease is always immediate and complete, unlike so many of the so called miracles and the quackery that goes on today in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he healed, healed completely and instantly. So often in our society, and it's easy to become skeptical, I heard a story not too long ago about a guy who worked in the construction industry, and he was faking a workman's comp claim, and he sued his employer in the insurance company for $4 million, and every time they went into the court, man, they wheeled this guy in on a, you know, they wheeled him in a wheelchair, and he was bandaged from head to toe, and he had this, that, and the other thing going for him, and, you know, and any time the jury looked at him, man, they felt sorry, and he won. And he was smiling as they wheeled him out of the courtroom and the insurance investigator and the company came up to him and said, you know what, we know and you know you're faking and we will follow you to the ends of the earth. You will get this money, but you'll never enjoy a penny because the moment we produce videotape of you doing anything but suffering, we will come after you to get the money back. He said, really? He goes, well, let me just tell you what's going to happen. My friends here are taking me straight to the airport. I'm getting on a plane at JFK. We're flying to Paris. From Paris, they're going to take me to the the shrine in Lourdes. And if you're following me, you're about to see one of the greatest miracles you've ever witnessed. (laughs) Do not be deceived, my brothers. God is not mocked. When a man sows, he reaps. He may get away with it today, but God sees all things. And so we don't have to worry about stuff like that. But it just goes to show you how difficult it is in our skeptical culture to believe, as we read historically, the miracles of Jesus Christ. His were immediate, his were complete, and people were made whole instantaneously. So when we read this story, we begin to realize, as this man did, he said, So as he was going home in verse 52, he inquired of his servants the hour when he began to get better. They said, therefore, to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left. The fever left. There was nothing phony about this. He healed those who believed, and he also healed those who didn't believe. He healed those who came to him. It says that all who came to him, he healed. But there were even those like this person's son who didn't come to Jesus, and Jesus healed him anyway. So we can come to them and be healed. There are people that don't come to them. they're healed. They, this, man, this son was healed physically. But it doesn't mean that he was healed spiritually. Because we can't be healed from a distance spiritually. But Jesus healed him nonetheless. You see, at the wedding, Jesus revealed his power over time. The good wine would only be available at the harvest. You know, you've seen the wine commercial. We will, serve it, we will only serve this wine in its time. Well, Jesus didn't get hung up on that because he's in control over time and creation. In this passage, Jesus demonstrated his power not only over disease, but also over space. He wasn't limited simply because he was in one place and the sick son was in another place. Why? Because the God of the universe is everywhere all at once. He's omnipresent. What a great truth that is. Jesus Christ possessed supernatural power over disease. This father believed the word of the Lord and didn't even know until the result, and didn't even know the results until the next day. But he believed them when he said it. He trusted the word that Jesus spoke even though he didn't see in front of him the result. I trust that same Jesus. We walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11 tells us that there were many men and women throughout the history of the world who God spoke to in very real ways, who stepped out in faith and looked forward to what God had promised, even though they didn't see it at that time. There are many throughout human history that never lived to see the day, this side of eternity. But if you remember right, Jesus said to Abraham, he lived to see the day that Jesus came. And he said, even before Abraham existed, I am. He lived to see the day because he's alive today. See, Jesus also demonstrated his power over birth defects. In John chapter 5, if we continue to read from chapter 4 to chapter 5, we see after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. And in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel, of the Lord went down at certain seasons in the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. It says, and a certain man was there who had been thirty-eight years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, "Do you wish to get well?" Isn't that great? Isn't that a great question? Do you wish to get well? Do you really want to be right with God? See, there's no other way to be right with God than wanting to be right with God. That's the first step. And it's wanting to be right with God on God's conditions and not on our own. Do you want to be made well? You know, if you're here today, ask yourself the question, do I really want to be made well in my relationship with God? Is there anything that holds me back from being well with God? Is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? Because if it's not well with your soul, it's not God's problem, it's your problem and my problem. And we need to ask God, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Do you want to be made well with God? He says a broken heart, can try hard, he will not despise. He says, come to the cross and there you'll find forgiveness. Look at the empty tomb and you'll recognize that his claim to forgive is possible because he's alive to forgive. See, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And that's not what he asked him. He said, Do you want to be made well? See, we can either look to Jesus to be made well, or we can look within ourselves and around us for an excuse. What was his excuse? I... I, I didn't ask you that. Isn't it great that Jesus is so gracious and patient? You know, I didn't ask you that. I asked you, do you want to be made well? Yes, Lord, I do. Then I didn't need to hear all the excuses why you're not made well. But that's my background. That's how I was raised. My dad was like that. My mother was like that. I, I didn't get loved as a child. I'm codependent. You know? you didn't ask you any of that. I told you the, the book that I'm going to write is, I'm not okay, you're not okay. We're all messed up. That's the living version of it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But, but uh, we all got problems. Hey, how many of you at Christmas or Thanksgiving when you had family over, were are reminded of that? <laughs> huh? Amen, right? You know, and you were the only normal one there, I know. That's like our house. We're looking around going, Wow, what? Man, you know, we were all swimming in a very dirty gene pool. don't look for excuses he's not looking for any he already knows all our excuses we're all like sheep man we've all gone astray she were the dumbest creature God ever created for the purpose of illustrating us and making sweaters and stuff I don't know whatever I don't whatever whatever else they're good for I don't know but if they can't make a hamburger out of him I don't think about him um, Jesus called to him and said Arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately, the man became well. He took up his pallet and began to walk. And the lesson for the leaders had just begun. See, another example of this is found a couple chapters ahead in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, a passage that I used the other day at this little girl's memorial service... So in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? You know, isn't it just like us to always be looking for why God does what he does? We want to take the complex things of life and try to overly simplify them. And and worse than that, we want to find someone to blame. And I'm sure as I spoke... That Friday, and I mentioned that I'm sure that there were many conversations like that that took place in the home of a child who was born with Down syndrome. I know that. I know it firsthand. I've met with people and talked to people who have struggled with God. Why would you do this to our daughter? Why would you do this to our son? It has to be someone's Fault because it didn't turn out like we wanted it to. The thinking of the day was, hey, either the parents sinned, and this was God's judgment for their sin, or somehow the child sinned, and that's the consequence of that sin. And we've already talked about the fact that, you know what, many times in life, we will experience the consequences for sin. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked when a man sows he's going to reap. There will be consequences for sin. We don't know the timing of that. We don't even know how God will enact that judgment. But we do know and we can be assured of the promises of God that if you are sinning before God, you will not find compassion from God until you forsake your sin, confess it before him, turn from it, and seek forgiveness, and then you will find it. Then you will find God's compassion. And so as I asked the question, I pointed to them very simply the answer that Jesus gave. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. He was born this way in a moment in time, for this day, preordained by God, when Jesus would come into town, see this man, and open the eyes of the blind. So that God would be glorified through the works of Jesus Christ. If you're struggling personally with God, why are you doing what you're doing? It w- <laughs> simply this, so that he can be glorified through the circumstances of our life. And I asked the audience, what did you learn from the life of this little girl? And how was God glorified through it? Not only what have you learned from her life, but now what do you learn from her death? For this one moment in time, I need to, you need to, we all need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves... Take our eyes off of us and me and what does this mean to me and ask the question, God, what do you want to do to the circumstances of my life? Don't let me get in your way, praise God. That's what Jesus did. He opened the eyes of the blind. You say, but, but why did he do all of these things? He answers it in a question that was asked by John the Baptist in the Gospel of Luke. And if you'll turn back to Luke chapter 7, you'll see exactly why he did what he did. In Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 18, we read, And the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Well, what were they, man? He was healing people. He was raising people from the dead. He was doing all this stuff. It was amazing. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? You know what's beautiful about this? Jesus said, man, there's no greater man born of women than John the Baptist. What a great man he was of God. And yet when he was thrown in prison, he started to even doubt the things that he knew to be true. It's okay to doubt God. We all doubt God, but don't leave it at that. Listen to his answer to you in the midst of your doubt. See, John doubted him. He goes, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know what, I got this straight. You know, I know I'm the one that said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm the one that said that he must increase and I must decrease. I'm the one. I know I said all those things, but I just want to make sure that what I've been telling people is accurate. And there isn't a teacher of God that doesn't have that burden every time they stand before people to present the message of God. God, please do not let me utter anything that is not truthful and somehow or another distort your message. So when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And that very time, what oh does it get any better than that? Oh, you asked the question? Let me give you an answer. And at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. good answer that's all I needed to hear I won't ask again have you been there in your own life it's time to listen to the answer that God has given us through the word of God and the spirit of God who lives within you if you've, known, if you've come to know Christ don't doubt him because he is not like man who can lie or deceive in him there is no shifting shadows whatsoever he's pure, he's light, he's truth I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. Back to John chapter 9. So in verse 25, you know, we must never forget the big picture. God always has a purpose even though we, many of us will refuse to accept it and realize it. But in John chapter 9 and verse 25, it says that he therefore answered whether he is a sinner or not. Now they're trying to, you know, figure out why this guy was, was you know, how he was healed, how he was, how he was able to see and he, said that he, and he answered and said, whether he's a sinner, speaking of Jesus, I don't know or not. But one thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I can see. You know, I love the simplicity of that. You know, people ever challenge you in your Christian testimony, they're asking things that you don't really understand. And you know, it's like, well, do you believe in the old earth theory or the new earth theory? Well, you know what? I've really not really dug into that as much as maybe you have, but I do know this. Once I was a sinner, and now I'm born again. Once I was alienated from God, and now I have fellowship with God. Once I was a liar, cheating and thief, and now I do what I can to make sure that I'm obedient to the commandments of God and tell the truth. And, and I, where I used to steal, now I work to give to those who are in need. And, you know, and I used to get angry when I drop kick people all over the place. Now, you know, um, the love of Christ contra- constrains me, and self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, is evident in my life. And, man, what a gracious God that we have. And what was the question? <laughs> you know, that's kind of like, they, they wanted the answer. They said, therefore, to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said, look, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? I like this guy. I can hang out with this guy. We could be friends. It's like, oh, well, I mean, why do you keep asking the same question? I mean, you really like him, don't you? You want to be, you know, it's like, oh, well, he said that, uh, And they reviled him, which is certainly understandable, and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, well, (laughs) here, this is an amazing thing, that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not coming from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? And they put him out. The arrogance of religious leaders who try to defy what God is doing in the life of another person. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's just amazing to me when you look at this. and, And here they are saying, you know what? You don't even know what you're talking about. So, what are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what happened. I know exactly who healed me. I know exactly what he said. And I know one thing that I wish was true now. I used to be able to not see you guys with my eyes. And that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. It's like, come on. Can you imagine that? Saying, you know, who do you think you are trying to teach us God's truth? We know we have the corner of the market on all God's truth. So we're not interested in hearing anything that you have to say. We're not interested in examining the facts. We're not interested in hearing the evidence. And the reason is simply this. We've already made up our mind. We don't want Jesus to be the Savior because he's going to take away a good gig from us. We want people to follow us not Jesus. And that's what happened. They were proud. They were arrogant. They refused to face up to the evidence. They didn't demonstrate, uh, you know, spiritual common sense in this this encounter. Had they honestly considered the facts, they would have seen that Jesus is the son of God and trusted in him. But they missed the boat. Why? Because they didn't come to Jesus. When they did finally come to him, it wasn't to receive him as Savior. It was to nail him to a cross. See, now Jesus goes looking for this man. He heard he got excommunicated, thrown out. Finding him, he said, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. What a be- wasn't that beautiful? You have seen him with the eyes that I have opened, the eyes that were dark, they have been opened and you have seen him and he is the one who is talking with you and look at his response. He dropped to his knees and he worshiped him as God. Isn't that beautiful, isn't that beautiful? I once was blind but now I can see. I once was blind to spiritual truth, but now I can see. I remember trying to read the Bible and going, I don't understand any of this. And when I trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of my sin, and I came to the cross, and I saw the empty tomb, and I was born again from above by the will of God, not by the will of man. By grace, I was saved through faith and not of my own efforts, because God is a gracious God. And then I started to read the Bible and I began to see spiritual truth. I meet with a man and we're going through a Bible study. And it's so exciting to hear him say, he told me again yesterday, Chuck, he goes, I read this chapter and I understood it. He goes, sometimes I really struggle, you know, as we all do, trying to understand the truths of God. He goes, but man, I understood it. God is doing a work in his life because he is committed to study the word of God. Isn't that exciting? You know, I failed on the challenge. But if you want to read on your own and look in the word of God, you know, Jesus, you know, he had power over the food supply. Multitudes of people were fed with a handful of resources. And he used the disciples as a, learning, as a learning experience. And he brought them along and said, what do we think we should do? And, you know, they went immediately to every answer that man has. Well, we need to go get some money. We need to go get money. We need to trust in Jesus. It's like he owns the universe. But they said, well, we'll try to sell some stuff and get enough money. But even if the money that we get, we're never going to be able to feed everybody. Well, what do you think we should do? Tell them to all take a hike. There's only enough for us. You know, self preservation. It's like, no, you know what? Here, I'll I'll show you what I'm going to do. And they were blown away because they still weren't quite sure who Jesus is. He had the power over nature, He walked across water, He calmed the storm. In the middle of a storm, he said, be still. And it stopped. And they said, who is this? That even the nature listens to him. And we realize from the word of God, in John chapter 6, both you'll find those, those uh, passages. In John chapter 6, we see that, you know... Everything is in God's control. He demonstrated absolute control and command over nature and over every circumstance in our lives. Do you realize the disciples were in the middle of the storm because Jesus told them to get in the boat and go across the sea? Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of the storm for being obedient. Sometimes, like Jonah, you find yourself in the middle of a storm for being disobedient. All I got to say is this, if I'm in the middle of a storm, I want to be there because Jesus told me to go. Because, you know what, in the middle of that storm, his power is always revealed. His presence is always felt. His comfort is always there. And I love the account because it says as he was walking to them, they were all freaking out. Like they saw Jesus walking across the water and they're like, ah, what's that? And as he got closer, that's well, the Lord. And it says, and, and they welcome him into the boat. You think? <laughs> I just—I love it. I crack up. I'm reading through this. I'm going. I bet you they did. You know, I was like, oh, they recognized Jesus, did You want to come in the boat? Well, that was nice of them. You know. Hey, and while you're here, can you take care of the rest of the stuff that's going on? You know. And not only did he stop the storm, but the boat was immediately at the other side of the lake. Woo! Man, there's a lesson, right? It's like this is beautiful. And he also revealed he has power over death. And I'll close on this point. In John chapter 11, we have the account of the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was sick, and Lazarus was going to die. In verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. When Lazarus died, Jesus went there and proclaimed to to Martha, as you look in verses 22, she said, Lord, you know, isn't it just like mankind? Lord, you know, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We are so quick to criticize God and so quick to take credit ourselves. You know, it's your fault if you were here, you wouldn't have died. Well, if you really understood the power of Jesus, you would recognize that, you know what, he didn't have to be here. He was healing people from a distance way before this ever took place. He healed everyone that came to him, and he was healing people that didn't come to him. This isn't really a tough, a tough thing for Jesus. But she said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. So she had a limited faith at that point. She understood something was different about Jesus. But she recognized, even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So this death thing doesn't even, isn't a hold up for her. She just was really confused about how it all works. Martha said to him, and Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And he, she said, I know that he'll rise again on the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Even if you die, you shall live eternal life to those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And I can't think of a better way to end a message on the works of Christ than to ask the question that Jesus asked of Martha to ask of you. Who do you say Jesus is? You personally. You, between you and God and nobody else. Who do you say that he is? She said there was an historic encounter, a moment in time in her life, where she was confronted with the claims of Jesus Christ, where she recognized that she was not perfect, that she was a sinner separated from God. She believed that Jesus was sent by God because of his great love for us to die upon a cross and to give himself up so that you and I could come to the cross and find forgiveness. He had not been resurrected yet. He had not been crucified yet but that wasn't a stumbling block from coming to him because she trusted that God's word was true. Hadn't happened, point in time in the future, she believed him anyway. I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, the one who has come in the world. Have you? Have you believed? If not, come to the cross today. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only thing that kept me for many years from coming to the cross was pride. I know I needed him. I know I needed forgiveness. But I also refused to come before him. The pride of the human heart that says, God, you know what? The evidence is overwhelming. I just don't want to accept it. The evidence is there. It's shouting in my face. And like the religious leaders to the blind man, the evidence is overwhelming, but I refuse to see it. The blind man whose eyes were opened by Jesus could see clearly what those whose physical eyes could see could not see because they were spiritually blind. And I'll tell you what, I would rather not have sight and see Jesus than have sight and miss the cross. Praise God. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for the power of your word. For I am not ashamed either of the gospel because I too know that it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believes. There are many here today who have come to that point in their life where they have believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Even he who comes into the world. For those who are not sure and are trying to work their way to heaven or have some other belief system other than that, Jesus came to preach a message of repentance, which means a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of mind, and a change of attitude toward the things that God has said. There needs to be a change of heart and attitude towards your own condition. If you think that you're good and that's good enough, you're wrong because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You need to be perfect, and if you're not, you've got big problems. And even if you think you're perfect, you've got the sin of pride in your life, so no matter what, you've fallen short of God's glory. Come to the cross and seek his forgiveness. Trust in the death of Jesus upon the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. For God so loved the world that he gave as a sacrifice, his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, Martha said, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Believe in him and you shall be saved. Look at the empty tomb and see the resurrection and the ascension of, into heaven and the glory that's been restored. And realize that that empty tomb is a testimony that Jesus has been given the authority to forgive sin as he healed those who had diseases in order to prove that he could forgive sin. So he was raised up into the heavenly places and he shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. God, I pray for all those who are not sure of that relationship that they would humble themselves today, come to the cross, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and believe upon the power of his resurrection and they will be born again from above, not by their own efforts or their own will, but by the will of God who revealed this truth to them and to God be all the glory. Amen.